This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to Clued In with Lou Carbone, a thought-provoking opportunity to expand your perspectives and advance the impact you can make in the CX, EX, and patient experience space. Lou's undeniable combination of the depth of experience and knowledge in this space is unparalleled. As a driver inside organizations as well as consulting, Lou offers distinctive thought stimulation, is a dedicated mentor and teacher. My special guest today is Bill Stokos, one of the most amazing people that I've had the absolute pleasure to meet. I feel like I have known Bill forever. We're soulmates on a a journey that I didn't even realize we were traveling together until we had an opportunity to to meet. Uh, His background and experience, he's currently at Medallia in a very senior position to really help organizations. Uh, But what I'm so impressed by is his wisdom, his willingness to share that wisdom, and his compassion for people struggling to understand CX on a distinctive level that really advances value creation. And to that, I am so grateful to have him as a friend and ally a confidant. I seek his advice and counsel, and uh, I just am so impressed. And I would love to have Bill talk about the journey he's been on, because we don't often find this in CX professionals and his background in terms of having been with Freddie Mae Banking. If, Bill, you could just quickly uh, take us through that. I, I think your journey has been absolutely ideal for what the world needs now in CX. Well, first first of all, Lou, that was a very uh, kind, but also an extremely generous uh, introduction to, um, you know, it's it's funny when, when some people are moving on parallel paths, it just takes one person in the middle to connect them like we had, um, and it brought us together. And Lou, you've someone that I've looked up to from a customer experience perspective for gosh, 15 years plus. Um, So it's wonderful to be able to have gotten to know you much better uh, and and learn from you too. So it's very kind of you to say that. It's flattering, frankly, uh, to to receive that kind of an intro. Um, And I'm I'm super excited to be here and join you on uh, on your podcast. You know, I always joke around a little bit, you know, Lou, my journey started when I was about six years old. You know, being, being a Greek American, my parents owned a diner. Uh, we were living in the Northeast, and at least in the Northeast, Greek Americans own diners for some reason. I'm going to generalize a little bit, but uh, we can poke fun at that. And I remember from a very, very young age working in that diner, front to back, clean potatoes, wash dishes, help prep uh, food, have waited tables, have bus tables, have greeted customers. So from a very early age, uh, not only did I build um, sort of a, a service mindset, but I also watched my own parents um, create a business and all that they had to do um, to make sure that customers kept coming back um, and, and grow you know, revenue for that diner. 
So, you know, I started off in financial services. I, from an early age, my father said, do not get into the diner business, which I, I'm grateful to him for that advice. Um, but not that it's a bad profession. It just, uh, it, it wouldn't have worked out for me. Uh, and he said, go into banking. It seems like bankers make a lot more money than, than I do. And, you know, it's a good profession. It seems a lot easier. So I was going into finance. Probably around the late 90s, I read uh, a book by Joe Pine called The Experience Economy. And I remember just talking to my boss at the time, and I was like, I think I'm going to move on. This seems like a cool thing to do. I want to go do this. And, you know, she looked at me like I had three eyeballs and said, you're making, you know, you're a 23-year-old kid, whatever I was, like you're making a ton of money. What what possibly would compel you to leave this profession and go do this? And I think it was sort of that yearning that I had of, of, of my childhood and my upbringing. I went to go work for a really small market research firm. We were doing some great stuff. And this is pre sort of first dot-com bubble, you know, 2000. We were doing some great, great uh, work with HP, Microsoft, Compaq, and others, helping them understand their small and mid-sized market companies. We did some work even with Palm. I mean, we did some conjoint analysis of the Palm Pilot for those who are old enough to remember that. Uh, so, you know, helping price out the Palm Pilot, which is pretty cool work. And, you know, got into consulting after that. And then, you know, wanted, I look back on my consulting experience and I said, you know what, I'm never going to be a great consultant unless I walk a mile in the shoes of my clients. Um, I went to work for American Express, uh, then went to work uh, for Credit Suisse, which really, um, you know, I was doing CX work before that, but, but Credit Suisse really helped me open my eyes to the broader sort of bringing together design in, with insights uh, and analytics um, spent three years in New York, three years in Zurich, heading up customer experience for the private bank. Came back to the U.S., worked for J.P. Morgan for six years, all in customer experience roles across the bank, from investment banking through retail. Um, then went to Freddie Mac to help start up their uh, customer experience practice, which was great because at a larger institution, as I'm sure you're aware, you can own kind of one cog in the whole system. At a place like Freddie Mac, you can really say, this is the vision I have. Will you support it? And when you get funding for it, you can really build out something fantastic and incredibly valuable and impactful. Um, and not to say that I wasn't able to do that in, in other roles, but that that role for me really is where, you know, my vision and my hope for where CX can go started to come, really come together in a very tangible way. Um, <clears throat> fast forward there. I just joined Medallia about four months ago now, um, I lead a group, a global team called Industry Solutions, and it is made up and comprised of individuals like myself, uh, customer experience and employee experience leaders um, that we've uh, brought in um, from other companies and, and help our clients be successful through customer and employee experience. Well, this is such a big thing that seems to be happening um, that had been traditionally software selling a piece of software and leaving, thinking about, uh, is the software business in this space changing dramatically in terms of bolstering the success? Whereas I think in the early days, it was sort of, here it is, and uh, good luck. And it seems like organizations are getting more vested in ensuring the cultural change and the adaptation within an organization that, you know, I think someone said measure it. And if you don't measure it, it won't change. That's right. But I don't learn that that's the truth totally 
because people needed support in terms of, well, how do we get people to react to this? And in your experience, uh, it sounds like at Freddie Mac and what you're doing now is exactly that, looking at a more holistic view than just buying a piece of software. Yeah, look, I've, you know, change management is as important as design. Change management is as important as insights and analytics. I think a lot of customer experience teams aren't as successful as they can be because they don't think about bringing this home for someone and helping them really internalize it and drive change, right? I'm a big believer in the ADCAR model, right? Starting with with awareness, et cetera, and going through that process. And we had that team at Freddie Mac, um, and it really helped us, you know, start to accelerate our thinking in terms of the cultural change that we wanted to commit to and help drive in the organization. And, you know, I've had that at other places as well, but when, when you can add change management capabilities um, or function into your, and embedded into your customer experience strategy roadmap, and even team have, have resources if you're lucky enough to focus on this and work with business leaders across the organization. You know, it's one thing for someone to, in a, on the business side to say, I understand this is a friction point. I'd love to go fix that, but maybe I don't know how. But if you have change management resources that can work with that business leader, engage their team in a different way, um, and then start to connect not only the friction point to real business metrics, KPIs that are levers for a business leader, whether you're you know, an operational leader or otherwise, that's where the real magic happens and starts to tip the scales and people understanding um, you know, what they can and the power of customer experience. Bill, as, as we move into the, the future, one of the questions I have is I've always felt that every company is literally a bespoke experience uh, and that often we delve into working on either customer experience or an employee experience, but we don't design the experience of the organization becoming experientially driven. It's it's almost like we don't practice. In, in fact, what I find to be quite unusual is that many practices in experience management don't create an experience. Um, what what would you attribute that to? Is it the, the need to get down into the nitty gritty right away versus saying, okay, what's the culture of the organization? Because we've done studies where we look at unconscious thought that senior executives had around customer experience, Mm. you would find the sticking points in terms of what's coming out of their mouth and what they're actually thinking. And uh, it was fascinating because then you're able to kind of design the internal experience. Mm. So I think, you know, some of the challenges that organizations face, Lou, is, you know, one, you've got different teams focused on different things. So you might have your design team in one part of the business, <clears throat> your insights and analytics or VOC team in another part of the business, et cetera. And that is really difficult. You have competing um, agendas, goals, and objectives. 
I think what you're seeing more now, and some of that is through the advent of technology for sure, is those those functions starting to come together and just partner much more closely together. You know, at a, at a, at a team, you know, at an organization the size of, of Freddie Mac, you know, a few thousand people in the single family business, that's much easier to do. Yeah. If you're looking at, you know, a JP Morgan Chase as an example, where there are 250,000 plus employees globally, that's an extraordinarily complex task to take on. Yeah. Right. So I think that, you know, some of the challenges that we've seen in the past and, you know, how do you turn, you know, experiences, experiences into actual experiences for an, for an organization? Um, one, I think some of those challenges are derived from where different teams can fit, who are fit in an organization, where do they sit, et cetera. I also think that technology generally has really advanced in the last two to three years, particularly from an analytics perspective, as well as um, from the view of taking a more journey-based approach to, you know, I'm going to look at my digital metrics now or my branch metrics now or my, you know, my, my, my product delivery metrics now where those operational owners would look at those metrics in, in a silo, but not necessarily come together and say, hey, from sales through delivery, what does this look like for the consumer? And I think that conversation is really changing now. Um, you know, I, I've, I've you know, the folks that I talk to externally, certainly across the marketplace are starting to talk more about taking a much more journey-based uh, approach to versus a product-based approach. The the analytics capabilities are certainly there now, where they maybe not been a couple of years ago, um, meaning more accessible. Um, so I think that we are going to start to see more of that experiential view come into play um, over the next couple of years as a result. Were you a Medallia customer? I, w- I was. I was a Medallia customer at Chase, and I was a Medallia customer at Freddie. We did look at we do look at the, the major players. Um, one of the big there are a couple of reasons why, and I don't mean to turn this into a sales pitch for Medallia, but you know, a couple of reasons why I always went with Medallia. One, to your point, I felt like they were developing technology and capabilities that can be used by non-practitioners of customer experience. I wanted tools that can be handed, you know, into a banker or a loan officer who can pick that up quickly and discern, okay, what is my next step? What do I have to change? Um, Similarly within Freddie Mac, Um, or someone in the agile scrum team, if they've got access to those customer insights, enormous impact that you can have through a two week sprint or your quarterly PI planning process when you have direct access to this type of feedback in a persistent way. Um, I just didn't think other providers had really focused on that as much. And the other reason, frankly, is um, Medallia is a leader in, in, in customer experience manage, management because they hire leaders. And we were just talking about this before the show. They, they hire people who, who have done this work, who know how to operationalize it every day. Um, and those are, the fo- those are the folks that we put into, you know, roles that, you know, help our customers be successful. And I think that's also a really differentiating point. There are others, of course, but um, certainly... Those were always the top two for me and why I thought, you know, Medallia was always the right decision. And it's a great point. I mean, from a cult, we were talking about cultural transformation before when it's, it's one thing for the head of CX to communicate out in a town hall. Here are the three or four or five things that we need to fix as an organization. 
And then someone in the operations and say, well, that kind of, you know, that's my group, but like, how do I really do that? Like, what exactly are they finding out or hearing? It's a completely different thing when you can see and read customers' responses and truly be able to internalize what's happening. So you can say, you know what, I can take action on that. You know, and as, as things improve, all of a sudden now you've got, you know, those comments are gone and you can say, you know what, we actually fixed something here. So being able to give someone not only the tools to be able to go fix that, but also the reward of seeing the work that they do impact the customer positively in the same dashboard is a really compelling value proposition and a really important one as well. It's it's moving from managing by crossing your fingers and hoping. <laughs> I mean, when was that a strategy ever, right? <laughs> And uh, it's moving to literally providing the tools that can help with that change management. And, and what I thought was impressive was the ownership that property managers took in really wanting to know where they stood. Uh, because you have a senior manager that would come through, Angelo Lombardi, who was a real, uh, I think he was the first customer, I'm not sure of Medallia, but one of them. But uh, what was, you know, what he said was, it takes the burden off of me having results and then having to go in and kind of hammer people. Now I could go in and compliment people for the work that they were doing and the action that they were taking. And uh, he said it was moving from having to use a hammer as a COO, visiting regions, and being able to say, I'm really encouraging you in terms of the changes that you're making. I thought that was really uh, powerful. Yeah, and if you think about sort of the impact that leaders have on their organization, when you can help flip the script um, for a team um, and say, look, I know we're working on these challenges and I see improvements, that's a really motivating factor when gosh i mean we've been talking about the great resignation now for six months if you're a leader and you're able to give positive reinforcement encouraging people to do better giving them the tools to be able to go do that as well you know i think that um you know i think that's those leaders it's those companies frankly that are not you know having some of the problems that others are having today fascinating bill you talk about freddie mac and open-mindedness. I'm beginning to believe that, um, in fact, Jerry Zaltman, Professor Emeritus at the Harvard Business School, forwarded a working paper that he's got on open-mindedness in executive suites. And it feels like there was open-mindedness at Freddie Mac. And what are the characteristics that when you look at senior executives and you go to them I mean, I've lived, as you did the three-eyed thing, I think that when I first started in this, people thought I was smoking the drapes. <laughs> and yet there were people that were open-minded that said, hey, th this is, I've never heard of a solution like this. Um, let's do it. And we've been doing other things and we're not getting the result that we want or the uh, momentum or velocity. What are the characteristics that you would recommend to senior leaders in terms of open-mindedness. And, and I, I recently talked to someone who said, boy, I wish that CFOs were in charge of customer experience. 
because it is, it is tied to revenue. <laughs> you know, I've I've always um, I've always said, Lou, if you're a new CX leader, the first two people that you call are your CFO and invite them to coffee, and your CHR or your chief HR officer, and invite them to coffee. At the end of the day, if you do not connect what you do to financial impact, you probably have limited time in your seat. Similarly, if you can't connect what you do to the employee journey and the employee experience in some way and support your HR partners in that in that effort, it will be very, very difficult to create that sort of very holistic view of the impact that you can have in the organization. I don't, you know, if people say oh, I'm here to increase satisfaction, I've heard this, like, here's my here's my one metric in my thing. And I'll get back to your question in a second. But if you're a CX leader, you have three goals. You increase revenue, you decrease cost, and you improve the culture of your company. That's it. Those are the only three goals that you should have. And metrics associated with proving that you are having an impact on all three. Full stop. From an open-mindedness perspective, I think it comes down to knowing what your limitations are as a CEO or as other, for other senior leaders, um, not thinking that um, since you're a customer, you know what it's like um, because you're one customer, not millions, if, if your business is that large. Um, a little bit of humility as well. Um, and finally, trust in your people. And I think if you can express those, um, and bring those to bear for your CX leader, your chief customer officer, or chief experience officer, whoever that might be. I think that, um, and you espouse those, um, you know, uh, qualities, and you expect those from your leadership team. I think that's where open-mindedness really can flourish and have an impact. I will also say though that it's up to the CX leader as well, or the EX leader for that matter, to be able to present information in a compelling way, using data to support their case. It's not just open-mindedness. I think, you know, any success that I had at Freddie Mac, certainly, you know, I had a fantastic, amazing team. I had CEOs that were very open-minded and saying, Bill, you and your teams are experts. Help us understand this. But also we were going to them with, you know, a view in a compelling way through, through data, through other ways that, you know, the company was used to talking about changes, um, not necessarily customer experience. So I think it's um, beholden on that leader as well to be able to present information that's going to you know, know your audience, very simple stuff, right? And I think sometimes as CX leaders, we can get caught up in the jargon and the work and personas and journeys and everything else, where at the end of the day, we're here to help the company grow revenue, grow the client base, reduce costs, improve culture. Uh, what a great journey you've been on and you are embarking on uh, Star Wars now. <laughs> it's a fun, it's a fun place to work. I have to admit, I'm really enjoying myself. I uh, am so thrilled uh, that you were able to join me. I usually, I sometimes feel like James Lipton with my final two questions. <laughs> I won't ask your favorite curse word though. <laughs> oh boy, um, I can say it in Greek. I won't say it. Uh, I don't want Apple to to flag your show or anything. <laughs> what I was wondering is, uh, what is the most memorable experience either as an employee or a customer that you had positive or negative? So I'll never forget this. Um, my honeymoon 20 years ago, 
my wife and I were in Bali and we were staying at um, the Four Seasons and we were having dinner, um, fantastic dinner. I was on the beach, one of those things. And, uh, you know, the service was just unbelievable. I mean, it was just so over the top, perfect in every way that we wanted just to not just, you know, put more tip on the bill. I actually had a $20 bill in my pocket. Um, and, you know, I said, you know what, I'm going to put this $20 bill. I want it to go directly to the, to the server who really went over and above. And I put that $20 bill and, and the, and he came back and he said, I think there, there's a mistake. You put a 20, a US $20 bill. And I'm like, no, that's for you. We really appreciate the service you delivered. It really was just amazing in every way. The next day he knocks on our door in the hotel and says, I'm really sorry to interrupt you. However, my wife baked you a cake and your, and your new wife. And we were like, wait a second, what are you talking about? And he said, and I didn't know this at the time, but 20 years ago, $20 was essentially his monthly income. So wow. we gave the guy in one, in one sitting and it, you know, think about from a customer perspective, if you can replicate that, and I thought about that just being the work that I do, what if you can train every one of your servers to be like this person? Not only would they enrich themselves in new and different ways, but you're talking about that experience 20 years later. That's so phenomenal. Uh, Len Berry and I had uh, done a podcast and we talked about what we call creative empathy. And creative empathy is really thinking outside the box. It isn't empathy is something that needs to be demonstrated. And that was creative empathy you just described. Len and I talked about Mayo Clinic, where uh, a husband and wife had COVID. The rules basically said that you had to keep them separated. Mm. And the team said, this is inhumane. Let's put them together. They died within an hour of each other holding Oh, my gosh. Probe. That's creative empathy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the power of that. My last question is, as you think of the state of the art of customer experience, and this is word association. What's the first word that comes to mind when you think of a color that describes where we are in the world of experience management? Oh, that's a great question, Lou. I think we're still gray. And could you explain why? I th I think that we I think that experience management on some level is still trying to figure itself out. I think that technology has certainly created the capability to close the loop directly with a customer, as an example. So to your point, right? Dashboards that give you information on your customer, you can reach out to them and say, "I'm really sorry, there was a bad experience. How do we make this up to you?" And close the loop, right? Inner loop, right? This is you know public knowledge. This isn't bespoke to a diet. I think on an outer from the outer loop perspective, I think that there is a long way for the broader category to still go. And um, there's certainly been a lot of thinking um, about that, but it still feels like it's theoretical on some level. Um, where where I am at Medallia, we do work um, with our clients to you know help them realize the value of the platform, but also connect experience levers with operational and financial levers. Um, but, um, you know, that not every company is there or can do that yet. And I think that's part of the journey that uh, many organizations are still on. 
Excellent. Uh, Bill, I want to wish you, first of all, I want to thank you for your generosity of your time today. And I know how busy you are. I know, um, I, I don't have to say best wishes in terms of making a difference. I know you will make a difference. You always do. And um, I am so proud and thrilled to be a friend uh, always with you. And if we lived, if I lived close by, <laughs> having coffee once a week and shooting the ball. <laughs> we should just do that over Zoom more or, or Teams, right, Lou? I mean, we don't do that enough. I know we've had an opportunity to interact a fair amount over the last six months um, or so, but uh, but um, I love talking with you. I learn so much every time we connect, Lou. Um, grateful to, to, to be on this podcast. Thank you for the invite. And, uh, you know, excited, excited to continue on this journey. Thank you so much for listening to Clued In with Lou Carbone. If the advancement of the practice of experience management's financial and emotional impact drives you, please reach out to Lou on LinkedIn or visit experienceengineering.com or email us at info at expeng.com. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.